Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast where we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed 59 was recorded live Thursday, March 17th, 2011. Welcome to Scuba Obsessed, episode 59. Here are some of the stories we'll be covering in the news. History Channel recreates a Florida scuba diving accident. Scuba saves a scuba Olympics. Another world record. Scuba diver finds shipwreck and some more Atlantis talk. And normally this is where I introduce Jim, but uh, Jim's playing hooky today. He had some other obligations he had to take care of, so uh, he'll be back next week. And sitting in for him, we have... Our mentor, Mac. How you doing today, Mac? Pretty good. I'm glad to be here tonight. I enjoyed the 72-degree weather today. Can you believe that? Oh, that is unbelievable. I I came outside, worked for about five minutes, and I had a hard time going back in. Well, the only thing I didn't like was the 25 to 30-mile-an-hour winds that went with it. Yeah. Well, luckily, we're not trying to get out in the big lake, so that won't affect us there. But hopefully, that takes care of some of the rest of the snow. Uh, as, as you were talking earlier, it sounds like some of the inland lakes still have a little bit of ice on them. Yeah, I was able to get up and do a little scouting. Uh, we had some interest in doing some uh, inland dives since we know the river's up uh, from last week. But uh, I know the Sister Lakes area probably have 80, 90 percent ice coverage still on all the lakes. And uh, there's a good 80 percent of coverage on Pawpaw Lake, Big Pawpaw Lake. But uh, there's a few areas you can get to. Uh, if you're down at the uh, yacht club, you can dive off the yacht club down in the in the crevasse or the cliffs. And if you want to do a little grubbing down by the old wooded pavilion, those areas are open, but everything else is ice. Oh, so but we're at that time of year, so it won't be too much longer. I I noticed on the way home, a few of the little farmers ponds still had ice on them, and even some of the spots where the just in the shade of trees still has a little bit. But it's hard to believe with. Weather like we've had, there'll be much snow left much longer. If we get a little more rain, that'll really uh, do it in. The ice is not really thick, uh, but it's more than I'd want to be under by accident. Yeah, yeah, it's it's remarkably hard. You were you were mentioning one time uh, coming up with some under some ice and had a hard time breaking through. How how thick does it have to get before you really can't break through it easily? Well, if you're on a good solid solid bottom, like you came into shore, you can use your tank and you can crack, you know basically skim ice but you're talking anything over a half inch i wouldn't want to mess with it actually i'm not going to mess with it and i would be on a tether and i you know i'm not going to do it unless i'm prepared to accidentally come up under some ice yeah but yeah it's if you're out there in the open water though even skim ice can give you a problem because you don't have a purchase to be able to break through the ice yes so best solution is not be there and if you're there it's because you're on a tether and you have your back up air so you can always go back to where you have your hole at but it won't be too much longer and we won't have to be worrying about this ice on these inland lakes i'm looking forward to being able to change out without being in the ice shanty with the heater on <laughs> well i think you can do it now it just depends how hard you want to be <laughs> it's well if it was 72 on the surface yeah i i could do it then it's not a big deal changing yeah then the sun makes a difference if you have a 
sun on you to where you at least can feel like you're warming up. It won't be. It's not as bad as being in the wind when it's cold. Oh, absolutely. And then the sun goes through the car, gets it nice and toasty. I'm ready. Yes. I see Mr. Jim just joined us. Yeah, uh, Jim is, Jim's online. In, in Skype, is he? we got to teach him how to get in the talk shoe. Yeah, eventually. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, if, if you're listening to this, you can always come on Thursday nights at 9 p.m. and catch us in talk shoe. And towards the end of the show or after the show, we have the Divers Roundtable. You can come on and talk. Uh, may, uh, maybe we'll take one of the topics from this year, this week's news and have that for uh, a roundtable discussion. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and jump on the, into the news. The first article is, uh, we usually don't talk about uh, deaths or ac- scuba accidents on the show, but this is one that uh, was, about a, well, it was about a year ago when I read about it, but I think it had been even longer than that, where a teen from Grand Rapids, Michigan, had uh, gotten paralyzed after a, a diving accident in Florida. So the History Channel has decided to record an episode on it, uh, this individual had a twin brother, and the twin brother it was actually uh, in the video for the, the History Channel. It was a Calvin College senior uh, helping to reenact the scuba diving accident that happened in the Florida Keys that left his twin brother paralyzed. Uh, it's going to be on History Channel's Underwater Universe series Wednesday night, and the episode is titled Fatal Pressure. Uh, the the accident, and there's a few articles on it. I guess I, I posted the wrong one, Mac. I got the, the one with almost no information in it. Uh, but if you do uh, a search on it, and we'll try and get something in the show notes, you can see what's going on. But they were down at about 130 feet, and uh, they came up too quickly. This happened December 28th, 2009. And uh, of the three that came up, the one son ended up being paralyzed. He went into a decompression chamber for five days. I believe it was six hours a day. Uh, they said he'd never walk again. He's currently able to walk with the aid of a walker, and he's hoping to get to a point where he can walk without that. So he's doing much better than doctors thought. So it'll be interesting to see the History Channel's, if the whole articles, uh, the whole episode is going to be on this, or if it's they're just one segment of it. This would be a good one to have that little uh, round table discussion on afterwards, because just the one aspect that I'm reading here, they were down 130 feet. Forgot about the time. It was down there 30 minutes, and it's like like we were talking before. You know, three people, and nobody looked at a pressure gauge or noticed their time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it, they, they, he, he paid a, nearly the ultimate price uh, by being paralyzed. But, uh, yeah, he, there, there's, there's a lot of things that didn't ring true. I mean, that's a depth that we're diving on uh, those of us rec- recreational divers when we're on the Ann Arbor 5, and we can't get 30 minutes down on the bottom. And we took bailouts, we had stage bottles, and nobody stayed down there more no, than 20 minutes. No, no. None of us without the, uh, the training could have been down there nearly that long. Let's see. The next article we have up is a man finds wife and mother in Japan by searching in scuba gear. This is, you know, that tsunami is just tragic at how much damage it did. Uh, this the uh, a positive story. One Japanese man managed to find his wife and mother after days uh, for outside by helping don scuba gear, going out and searching for them. Uh, he was 43. Uh, he met his wife 20 years ago while surfing. 
When the tsunami hit, he was at work. He came home to find his neighborhood submerged in 10 feet of water. He wasn't willing to wait for somebody to come and help them. So he managed to get a hold of some scuba gear, hit the water, waded through the debris and underwater hazards, managed to reach the house from which he drabbed, grabbed, dragged, grabbed, I'm sure, dragged his wife to safety. One of his comments is the water felt cold, dark, and scary. I had to swim about 200 yards to her. It's quite difficult in all the floating wreckage. And if that wasn't enough, a couple days later, his mother was still missing. He did the same thing. He found her on the second floor of, of a flooded house where she'd been waiting for help for four days. Uh, now he's uh, continuing his searching, helping other trapped survivors. So that was, uh, it's, it's amazing when, when somebody can, can help out. It's just unbelievable how tragic that is and, and how many people need help. The, you know, they had the, some of those towns where they've, they've lost the town. And right now, well, how lucky I is to be yeah. able to go in that kind of water, that kind of debris field. I, I'm really assuming he was on the surface, got into the area of the house, dove down to have entry, because that's what it sounded like, like there was no windows. And yeah. to find her in, in the part where they've got air after a couple of days, especially oh. for the mother. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. E either that or they're just in a part of the building where they couldn't get out or didn't have windows. So maybe it was above the water level, but still trapped. Yeah. It sounded like a, you know, second floor of a flooded house sounds like that, but waiting days for help, you know, you figured no electricity, no light, nothing to drink. It's like, that is that's something right there in itself. Yeah. Well, we hear about those stories where we have buildings collapse and they send the dogs in and they can find people three or four days later. The problem here is if you're, if you're underwater, that's not working for you. Yeah, dogs can have a little hard time smelling. The next one is a Scuba Olympics raises money for the adaptive swim team. This is a fundraiser. And, I, and Mac, when I, I heard about this one, I was thinking uh, that these would be some fun events to, to, to put on at some point in time. Uh, Saturday, March 20th, the dive shop from across the Bay Area will enter teams of scuba divers in the Scuba Olympics. And I'm always wondering if Scuba Olympics is a, a, pat, a trademarked phrase. I'm sure it is. Uh, takes place this Saturday in the Long Center in Clearwater from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. They're doing this to raise money for the adaptive swim team, uh, a team of special needs students. Their teams are competing in several events, including riding an underwater bike, filling balloons at the bottom of the pool to raise a 30-pound weight, a tug-of-war, a raft race, and a buddy tow. All events will be judged and timed. And the Special Olympians will be on hand to pass out the medals. The public is welcome to attend, and they're also doing some Discover Scuba Diving. So now, sounds like a that, blast. Uh, that kind of stuff is a lot of fun. I mean, I can see us doing all of those. Yeah. So uh, we need to put that on the agenda for one of these times. It sounds like a perfect midwinter type of project when we can't get well, out. Well, you know, if you really did it with a purpose to raise money and funds and get some sponsors, um, you can have teams. Uh, it, it sounds pretty neat. We've had the underwater tug of war. I've done that one before, and that's a real pain. <laughs> uh, but it, it is sort of fun. But you got to be young for that. Uh, the buddy tow that sounds interesting too, especially if it's a timed event. Yeah, you could definitely make something out of that. Certainly could. We'll do, I just we get we get all these good ideas. I just have to keep writing them down somewhere so we can come back to them. I saved this one here, so I can come back to that one. <laughs> well, I'll hold you to it. Uh, this next no, one, go ahead. I said it's there for now. <laughs> this this next one is uh, a world record attempt, uh, the gambling dive. 
scuba divers are claiming they have a new world record after playing the same card game underwater for 36 hours. 16 divers who worked in shifts to change their tanks. And they were on a, bot, a pool in, and, and here's another name for me to slaughter, Gales Horing, Germany. And they're playing a favorite local game called Sheep's Head. Uh, they said after the first hour they gave up counting because they didn't want anybody to go belly up. Uh, after completing the event, they contacted the Guinness Book of World Records uh, with video, uh, hoping to have their event certified. So if you look in the photo, I don't know, if it, did you see the photo in the article, Mac? Oh, uh, let me go back, and I think I yeah, did. Yeah, when, when I'm looking in there, and I'm having a hard time telling distance, but it looks like they're almost like just inches below the surface. Oh, yeah, they're just right under it. Yeah. And part of it, they wanted to have all the... And you'll also notice they used the term oxygen again. Yeah, I, I know I, you read that in the articles, and I think that's mo hopefully more just the uh, the author than people actually telling them that it's oxygen. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it looks like they're just inches underwater. I know for some of those uh, world record attempts, at least in open water, they have to be certain depth below. That's uh, correct. I'm not sure who sets the standard for how deep you got to be for it to count. Yeah, because I mean, some of these guys. Now, I wouldn't have a problem because my hair would never float up and get to the top but some of these guys look like their hair is almost out of the water that's true and then we have in india a noted scuba diver shanbir bucks has discovered a wreck of an ancient ship in the sea of chanbrigar hagara <laughs> near you can have all the enunciation you want on this one yeah you're not gonna come to save me uh near uh cornark about 64 kilometers from the state capital, uh, the 300-foot-long vessel could have sunk nearly 200 years ago, Buck said. He came around the shipwreck on Sunday while imparting training to some marine fishermen about underwater scuba diving. Now, when I read this one, Mac, I was thinking, did he kind of set them up and say, well, I can only go and show you about scuba diving if, if you take me to a place where your net gets caught? Uh, if it works, do it. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So the ship was laying nearly 55 feet deep in the water from the surface of the sea. Out of curiosity, he examined some of the parts of the wreck for 10 minutes. He did not find anything exciting. He said he would take a plunge in the sea again to explore new features about the ship. He has been credited with finding 58 shipwrecks in the country and abroad. And he has recently run into trouble allegedly trespassing a prohibited area of Paradip Sea where the Mongolian cargo ship sank in 2009. The Paradet Port Authorities reportedly lodged a complaint against them at a Marine police station. So I'm guessing that somebody didn't want him near there because they hadn't salvaged it yet. Well, that's why you dive at night and use black lights. <laughs> that's not official advice we're giving out, but <laughs> that might be some well, advice. That'd be fun. Hypothetically. <laughs> and then the, uh, darn it, I did it again. Oh, here we are. Now I found it. Uh, and uh, the last article tonight, a researcher claims to have discovered the lost city of Atlantis, and conveniently it's located in southern Spain. Uh, uh, I've got this one from Engadget, but uh, it was originally from Reuters, and uh, it's not an April fir uh, first joke. Uh, they said they have found the lost city of Atlantis has finally been discovered. International team of researchers, dreamers, and intrepid adventurers using ground-penetrating radar and electrical resistive Thermography of unearthed evidence to suggest a spot in the southern coast of Spain, just north north of Candes. Um, the 
they believe it was the human society's first metropolis. They say one of the reasons it took archaeologists so long to pinpoint its whereabouts because it's 60 miles inland. So uh, somehow he's been able to convince a National Geographic documentary on the subject that will be broadcasting. Uh, and it looks like it's probably already been broadcast. So uh, we'll have to look. And up, if so. you look, if you sort of Google that, what you're going to do is come up with a lot of articles written by the same group. Mm-hmm. So I can't find any independent comments one way or other on that. Yeah, it seems to be we've had a lot of Atlantis discussions going on. So they just kind of well, yeah. some of the artifacts look quite you know they they look quite interesting, but I'm not necessarily sure that would uh, justify saying Atlantis. Yeah, obviously he found something there. Yeah, yeah. Part part of the trick with Atlantis is that it's it's such tied to a time that it's limited to where it could be and what it could be. So, uh, I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that it was that time, you know, that it could have been any time in history, then uh, much more like likelihood that you would come across something that would match it. But uh, well, I also, you know, part of the reason they may believe that's really accurate there is that we're talking about the tsunami effect back that far. And that when you go to this inland part, Right off the bat, I think of inland, a solid land, but it isn't. Where that's at is a um, a marshland. It's called the Donna ANA Park. Can't pronounce it, but it's basically Donna Park. And in that area is where they're finding these artifacts. And again, why Atlantis? I'm not sure, but they obviously have found something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they definitely have found some sort of city. So I'm going to have to look that up on the satellite dish and see what I'm able to pull up. I, I love watching that stuff, uh, much to the chagrin of my wife. She can't handle those shows. Well, 2,600 years ago, I think the uh, coastlines have shifted a little bit. I'm sure they have. Well, I've also heard, and some of the other people theorizing in Atlantis, is that it wasn't a wave or something that, that flooded it. It could have been an area where you had like a natural dam, and then a dam broke and then flooded a village or town that was you know, on a river or a basin. Yeah, I think I've always heard of the ones more in our neck of the woods down in Florida off of the Bahama areas where it was some kind of rift or, or um, geological shift that made part of the land submerge. That seems to be the common one I've heard. Yeah. So who knows, but yep. it'll be interesting to see what, what else they dig up there. Yeah, so you you never quite know, but uh, always interesting, and, and we're still looking for that big bucket of gold. So that, I was just noting, I did find an article on that. They were talking about the tsunamis in that region have been documented for centuries. Uh, one of the largest reported was a 10-story tidal wave that slammed Lisbon in, 1770, in 1755. Wow. That's not all that large. No. Well, there are some places where you can have some large tidal waves, and they tend to be across the bays. So if you have a large open bay, say it's 15, 20 miles across, and you have a cliff on one side collapse, slide down into the water, that can make yeah. an enormous tidal wave on the other side. Right, so or if you have the same thing underwater, landslide there creates a monstrous wave. Yeah, yeah. so the, so you have those. And you know, it depends on what your worldview is at the time. If you're only aware of 15, 20 miles around you, it could be like the whole world opened up and swallowed your city when you have something that big coming at you. Oh, yeah. Well, that does it for the news for this week. 
and uh, we'll do is we'll go ahead and talk about the dives, which we, we had all of the best intentions for a dive this last week. Uh, we got down to Niles area, Jim, Mac, and myself, and you, you tried to give us a call before we got there. What, what was it that yeah. you saw? Well, you know, we had dove there just a couple of weeks before, and even though the visibility wasn't the greatest, uh, we didn't have a lot of ice, so we thought we'd give it a shot. But when we got there, when I first got there, uh, the launch ramp, all the concrete, all the way up to the road was sort of like flooded. Uh, one of the stumps that we normally use to lay gear on, which is three or four feet above the water line, was like at the top of the water. Uh, the current was, we calculated to be maybe two and a half, three miles an hour, which was uh, a little more than I want to try to swim against. And the visibility we figured out was about six inches to 12 inches. And since we had a lot of new territory that we had not explored, a lot more hazards for us to dive, we decided to do a dry dive. Yeah, it, it, it was just a smart thing to do. I was willing to tend line if somebody wanted to go in, uh, but the only purpose we'd have had for that would have been getting wet. Uh, that current. Well, go ahead. Yeah, like you said, we could have done it as long as we were tended, and we did have the creeper with us. But again, from the aspect of what we were looking for is uh, search and recovery, so to speak it wouldn't have been that advantageous. So I think we're better off doing exactly what we did, scouting for new areas. <laughs> so so we did get to, to do some scouting, and I think we got a few good potential spots that we'll have to try and figure out a way to get into when the river slows down a little bit. Uh, and then one thing mm-hmm. it, it reminded us to do is to have a, uh, a little bit more formalized uh, backup location. Well, we were, like we said, talked about Pawpaw Lake, but uh, – it wouldn't have made any difference because we couldn't have got in at either the locations at L&E Bay because it's iced over or iced over enough that we were not prepared to go do that. And the uh, Coloma exit down there by the the, uh, the park and the pier, that's totally iced in down there. So our backup would not have worked. Uh, yeah, so we'd have drove and then had another one, scouted some more sites, so to speak, driving around the lake. But we're not getting too far off from boat time. I know Bob's back in town. Uh, you know, and he had an interesting story. We'll have to get him on the show. He was actually in Hawaii when the, when the tsunami came. Uh, it sounded like did didn't he say his hotel had a little bit of water came in the lobby? Uh, I don't believe he said the lobby, but it was uh, they were up on a rise, and the road right to them was flooded out for a period of time. And I think the the interesting part said is when the water receded, uh, that the kids were out there getting the fish off the grass. Now, that <laughs> must have I'd like to have seen some photos of that. Yeah. Uh, then he was talking about how the, it was like a surge that came up. Then it would go back out, and the reef was actually uncovered, and you could see the flopping fish and stuff on it. Oh, would come wow. back in and several times. Yeah, well, that's how I've always remember hearing uh, pe- the people who su- survive tsunamis say that a lot of times before uh, we had some good warning systems and probably radio, they they would be on the beach and all of a sudden all the water would go out. Yeah, that'd be a good that'd be a good thing to say if the water went out. It's a good time to leave the beach. Exactly. Because it always, the, the next part of the story is always, and then big wave and everybody, you know, cars and buildings and things being pulled back into the water or, or along the shore. Yeah, just the, the amount of power that Mother Nature has is just unbelievable. We, you know, we, we like to think that we can contain it or survive it, but stuff like that, you're just rag dolls in a huge flow of water. Well, it's like on the hurricanes, the uh, surge is what gets a lot of people who go down to take pictures. It's really relatively, you know, stormy, but 
doesn't look hazardous. And then that storm surge comes through and it's just like a, well, maybe not three foot wave, but it's that influx of water real quick. And look how many people drown from that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, it, it, I think the uh, one death they had in California was essentially the same thing. Somebody with a camera getting out just to take pictures. Yeah, that was on the news part. You could see everybody told him to stay off the beach. He's out there trying to get a picture. It came in and he went out with it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's not worth that for a picture. You can just it's better to invest in a lens and do it from up high. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's it. So we we're, I don't know what we've got planned. Uh, this weekend we've got uh, one of the local dive shops is having an open house. So we'll have some representatives in the mug club there. Yeah, that'll be both um, Saturday and Sunday. It's uh, Wolf's Marine down there in Benton Harbor. Uh, it's pretty nice. Uh, they give good discounts on uh, both dive gear, uh, boat gear, and accessories during the two days. You can always sign up for gifts. Uh, they're not too skimpy on their on their um, gifts. And, of course, uh, they do have a little buffet out there for you, so they actually feed you to come look. Uh, food, food's always a good motivator. Oh, it's a very good draw. Good draw. In fact, that's one of the the best places about going there for your for Saturday morning air fill is, uh, you know, if you get there early enough, you can grab some brownies. And always popcorn, and then their free coffee. So yes, I've been there many times just to BS and to uh, partake. (laughs) So that will be this weekend. Uh, You know, Bob is talking about. I I think he's on call, isn't he? Because yeah, he's got ERO duty. Yeah. So. yeah, so he's on call, so I don't think he's going out this weekend. Uh, there's some discussion of somebody doing Lake 16, but I've got a customer visit this Saturday, so I can't make it. And I know Jim has family from outside of town coming in, which are going to make it tough. But sometimes that's a good motivator. I wouldn't be surprised for him to give me a call Sunday morning and say that he's ready for a dive. <laughs> well, if you figure out where it didn't have the ice, let me know. Yeah. I think it's going to be a little hard right now. Maybe a hair dryer and a long extension cord, we could take care of that. Well, uh, I think his initial item was a turning basin. Now, it might be a little dark, but that's still a good option there because that's free. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen really any ice in the river, have you? No, that's pretty clean. I I went up and searched out. Uh, It's pretty decent there. Uh, There might be some opportunities to get the kayaks out if we want to check out both either the Dwajak River or certain parts of the St. Joe River. I've got that map now of the uh, Indian trails and those four or five locations that had the uh, where the actual settlements were on the river. We're definitely going to be looking those over this summer. Oh wow, that'll be nice. Yeah, and, and that is that the Dwajak River. Where's that come in? Does that come into St. Uh, Joe? No, that'll be the, well where we do down at Mont. Yeah. Uh, Mont Street. We can start from there and. The Dwajak River cuts into to that just maybe a quarter mile upstream, or okay. I should say down. And then from there, we'll just continue around. It snakes around pretty good. Yeah. Well, I, I've I've always wanted to kind of do like a, almost like a drift dive, you know, where you kind of snorkel on a shallow river, mm-hmm. and then when you see something interesting, just go down for a little two to two, three minute dip to see what's in the bottom and just keep going. Well, what we're going to try to do is do that shot from Hartford down to Waterville first uh, and hit that one area that we keep talking about that's got the cars in the embankment. That used to be a dump. Uh, I went there last summer and up down up by the, the broken dam there in Waterville. Uh, it was a little fast, but believe it or not, the bottom was sand. 
wasn't muck. Now, if we could find some good sandy bottoms like that, we could take the kayak. Some guys could be on the kayaks. I, I intend to take mine with my tank and my hookah rig. That way I'll have the tank and stuff on board, and I can be out pushing it. If I see something, I can go down and take a look at it. Mm-hmm. It's pretty shallow. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to figure out some way. I've even thought about that with a, a nice kind of hybrid, you know, like a family trip, you know, where they can canoe on the surface and still be involved somehow. That might not be a good – that's another item we might look at for the club. Uh, I know Larry's been out there with a canoe, so you got some family people there. I got my sit-upon. Uh, I bet we could do something pretty well on that. That's, yeah. that's a good thought. Yeah. 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 All sorts of ideas coming through my head. I'm also thinking of a chainsaw because there's a – sometimes when you get some of those little cricks and rivers, they get so clogged up with stuff all brambled together. It might be nice to be able to work your way through. Absolutely. You can always be surprised what you can dig up or find out there. Yeah. There's there's one a few years back. I have to talk to my dad. He had, he had volunteered a few times for some uh, river cleanup projects where – it was unbelievable parts of the river where you'd, you've never thought anything would be and what they were pulling out, refrigerators, cars, bikes, barrels, all packed in. So we'll, 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 go ahead. I was going to say, I, I do believe they're going to have that uh, river cleanup again in Sheboygan this year. Uh, I told them to make sure they gave us a shout because I'd go up there for that. Yeah. So, that, yeah, because I think that one's in June, isn't it? I'm not sure when it will, when it's going to be this year, but it'll be in the summertime, yes. Yeah, and from the clarity of the water that we had last time, I can't, can't wait to get back up there. Oh, you and me both. I'm chomping at the bit for that. So I don't think we're going to find any more huge clamshells, though, but no. we're going to be looking. <laughs> it will always looking. Yeah, and the pearl. Looking for the pearl. And the pearl. So, and then we had a dive club meeting this week. Was there? I, I missed it. I came. I came to the best part, which is the dinner afterwards. But uh, was there anything exciting? I, we got we got new club shirts. Yep. Uh, probably the key item was uh, doing a treasury report and saying how much money we don't have anymore. Because <laughs> uh, we did buy shirts and stickers, and then we had distribution for those people who had uh, pre-purchased them and got that you know out. Uh, we do have a few left over. And we went ahead and voted on, do we want to be able to sell it to the general public? And we're pretty much open to, like this weekend, if we have people who want a shirt from the Mud Club with our logo and stuff on the back, uh, we're going to be open to doing some of those. Uh, the stickers, that's pretty much in-house with the club members, put on their tanks or their cars. So that was probably the big one. Uh, I had a few extra people who weren't there at the meeting before, so we got their pictures for the club cards. Because we're laminating those, they should be ready by next meeting. Excellent. Uh, we also handed out the uh, club booklets for the phone numbers and emails for the members. And we talked about, uh, we modified our, our bylaws just a little bit. We've got two members now who are not certified divers. So we accepted their entry into the club as uh, associate members, which means they can tag along. They can't dive with us because they're not certified. But you know, if they snorkel and stuff, that's fine. So we went back and reinstituted our associate members. And it was also the first time we also said any new people. The dues finally went up the first time in 35 years. So it's $15 a year now instead of the what we had forever for 12 So how long had we had it? You, you, at the we probably 12? had only 12 bucks for since we started. It's been 30-some-odd years, 35 years. Wow. So 35. So since it started, it was 12 bucks. So back then, that would have probably been about 40 bucks nowadays. <laughs> uh, 
Well, email sure helps a lot because most of our funding went out for the, you know, for postage and newsletters, envelopes and doing the newsletter. And then it basically pays for our uh, club steak fry and dive. Yep. So if you're interested to take a look at what uh, Max has been referring to, you can head over to the club website, which is mudclub.scubaobsessed.com. Uh, we have our newsletters up there. You can see bios and some of the members and keep track of what we do. And I like to think that we have a really active club. There's a lot of diving going on. Just uh, as our motto says, there's somebody diving just about every week. Well, like all clubs, I think you've got your hardcore people. And any kind of club, you got maybe 10% that pretty much does everything. And I think that's if you're kayaking or biking or running. And uh, you get to the hardcore, and we're out there all year round. Uh, we do have a lot of people who really prefer the uh, warmer water, water, which, you know, I don't blame them a bit. But uh, when we start getting back into it, you'll start seeing our treasure count go back up. And that's what I like to look at and see what did people find and where they've been. Where can I go and find bottles, too? Yeah, that's that's always a blast. But we'll, we'll, we're, we're going to find a lot. This is going to be a good year. Oh, I, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, well, we have. I think we have more boats in the club than we've ever had before. And. A lot of people anxious to get out and do some searching and some dives. Well, I figure the first week in April is when people start breaking out the boats. You yep. know, hopefully we won't have any more freezes after that. Mm-hmm. I think Jim will have his out about that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim's is uh, coming out, and then uh, Bob's uh, just getting out from the shop, so his is just about ready to go out. I just hope I don't miss that first lake dive. I'm going to be out of town in D.C. coming up here in a couple weeks, so. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't hold it against anybody if they go, but I, I hate I hate missing it. Well, I think last year you guys sort of got the first wreck dive in at the Havana. Yep. And that was very early in the year. Yeah, I th- it was almost this time of the year. Yeah. Uh, so I can't I, – I need to – you know, and it, sh- it should be – actually, it should be easy enough to look up. We probably just go and look up on the schedule at the club. Yeah, last year's newsletter. Yeah, the event calendar should have – so going back to the event calendar, we have – uh, oh my goodness. What? March 13th, the Havana. <laughs> okay, we're late this year. Oh, we're behind. We're, that was like four days ago. That's because yeah, Bob wasn't here. If Bob had been here with his boat, you'd have been out. Well, we'd have, yeah, we'd have been out this last weekend when, when we were trying to, to fight the river. We'd have been out. And then we did uh, March 6th had been the St. Joe Water Tower. So we could okay. go ahead and so we can go ahead and do that. So yeah, I'm I'm feeling like I'm already falling behind. We in are fact, behind. I've, in fact, uh, let's see, we had one, two. Now well, we only had the two dives in March, so I didn't miss too many. I'll have to look. Oh gosh, yeah, we're gonna have to step it up. So uh, oh, I'm ready. I'll try to do my part though and get some during the weekend so we can get the numbers <laughs> back up. Yeah, we got we have to get the numbers up. Got it. We got to beat last year. Always have to beat last year. Now I got to find a small jug like uh, Jim did. Yeah, that well, was such a pretty little thing. Oh, that, that yeah, he he found that uh, cer- that ceramic little jug, and then you found a milk bottle, didn't you? Yep, yep. I've, I'm doing pretty good out there. Yeah. I'm really. I got a couple of new spots staked out. Part of mine is getting to them, so I'll have to get my kayak out because I just can't swim that far anymore. But I can kayak it pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's nice just to not have to work too hard so you can enjoy it once you get there. So, yeah, a lot of dives planned this year. We've got a lot of boats going. So uh, my, my goal is to actually get more dives in during the week this year. I want to get some in, you know, maybe one or two dives, dive nights, you know, maybe 
dive Tuesday, Wednesday, and then, uh, you know, Thursday we got scuba obsessed. So, uh, of course, you know, my wife might be giving me grief after that, but we'll, we'll just have to test it, you know, just to see how long that takes. Well, we put in the uh, Wednesday night dives or we, uh, Wednesday evening dives for SAS. Um, those are very well attended. And uh, Rich Curtis, one of our club members, uh, actually attended more of those than anybody else in that area. And considering he's way over here to go all the way over there, yeah, that's pretty obsessive diving. It certainly is. And he, he did a great job. Nice getting... that. yep. well, that's the one thing that keeps me away from it. There's so many good places close by. I just don't see myself driving that hour to go get up there and do those dives. But you know. Well, part of that, though, is the camaraderie because they do things together even when they're not diving. They'll call up and say, let's have an impromptu movie night. Uh, oh. Let's get over and go out and eat. Yep. So it's, it's a, a good social app, you know, atmosphere mm-hmm. also. Yeah. Well, certainly it is. And that's a, another good reason to uh, join a dive club. Well, it's like us. Uh, after we dive, what do we do? We go out and eat. Eat. <laughs> you know? I mean, during the winter, it's obviously soup and stuff, but it's great. We, I mean, you learn a lot in the BS sessions. Yep. And we don't stretch the truth too far. No, no. O- only a little bit. Well, just like fishermen. Yeah. Oh, well, I, you know, I think we've about done it for another episode. So hang on after the show and we'll do the divers roundtable. But we've and got. You are going to close with your joke of the week? Yeah. Yeah. And this one, uh, it's a little bit different than normal, but, uh, you know, since Jim's here, we'll have to, we'll, we'll have to do, do this one. So everybody hold on and here we go. A lady steps into a city bus with a baby in her arms. The bus driver says, lady, that's the ugliest baby I've ever seen. She stops the back, takes a seat, infuriated at the bus driver's insult. A man in a scuba diving hat sitting next to a lady asks her what's wrong. She says, that bus driver just insulted me. The scuba diver says, there, you go up there and tell him off. I'll hold your monkey for you. You know, on a rating of 1 to 10, you're really getting up there, you know. <laughs> uh, well, every once in a while, we, we find something that will get some sort of reaction. <laughs> so, until next week, go out there and get wet. Be safe. <laughs>